Scuba Obsessed Weekly Podcast, we talk about all things scuba diving, from cool new gear to places a dive and scuba the news. Scuba Obsessed, episode 346, is recorded live October 19th, 2017. Welcome back to Scoob Obsessed. I'm Darren Jilson coming to you from the southwest side of the great state of Michigan where we are home to millions of stink bugs. Joining me this week, we have Mac the Dive Mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? I'm doing very well, thank you, and I'm hoping you're doing the same. I am. It's uh, actually uh, you know, some nice weather. I, I kind of like the uh, the crispy part of the year. It's, it's amazing how 60 is feeling good. Yeah, yeah, it's... Uh, and I'm here too. Oh, hey! And we have uh, Jim Schultz also joining us this week. How are you doing today, Jim? Uh, I'm doing good. I hope this connection holds. Well, we can hear you now. Okay, good. That's been the problem for the last ten minutes. <laughs> so I, this is normally where I thank everybody for being in the chat room, but uh, we don't have anybody in the chat room. Amazingly tonight, so I don't know if uh, things got crossed or whatever, but. Uh, We'll give you a thanks anyway. Hopefully you're downloading it a little bit later on and following along. Uh, and I I am, I get, oh, well, actually we do. We have somebody, uh, I, I said that and I looked in the other chat room. We have uh, TKD Derek is is in there listening. He so says now we have to be careful what we say, huh? Yeah. He says there's at least an eight-minute delay in the chat for me. Whoa. But he did, uh, we, before the show, we were doing jokes, and he says, why don't cannibals eat clowns? <laughs> okay, why? <laughs> they taste funny. <laughs> That's good. That was, well, that was a good one. Okay, so let's go ahead and jump <laughs> right on into the news. First one up is Tokyo 2020 Olympics. Organizers are finding some high bacteria levels at their water swim venue. Organizers uh, said... Uh, Early in October, that test showed levels of E. coli up from 20 times the acceptable limit and uh, fecal chloroform bacteria seven times higher than agreed on at the planned venue for the marathon, marathon swimming and triathlon. Organizers have vowed to improve the water quality to ensure the safety of the athletes, including through installing underwater screens at, oh my goodness. The Marine Park. <laughs> Yeah, Odaba <laughs> Marine Park limited to the amount of fecal chloroform bacteria flowing offshore during rainy periods. They also said they would consider amending event dates and times during the game to respond to weather conditions. We'll take the best possible measures to make sure the venue satisfies all relevant standards of international federations and the athletes can perform at their best, feeling very safe. Kajoy, I got to be careful with these names. I, I'll, I'll swear in some languages. Uh, we'll just call it call him her uh, Kujoy, uh, sports director, told the news conference. Tests carried out during 26 days between July and September showed that water quality standards set by the International Federations was met on only 10 days for marathon swimming and just six days for the triathlon. For example, the quality of fecal chloroform tested on one day is as high as 7,200 per 1,000 milliliters, per, well, excuse me, 100 milliliters, well above the limit of 1,000 per 100 milliliters agreed by the International Swimming Federation. 
Me- meanwhile, Escuri, uh, oh, the E. coli. I didn't realize that's what the, the E stood for. Uh, tested as high as 5,300 per 100 milliliters compared to the International Triathlon's union ceiling of 250 per 100 milliliter. The Tokyo 2020 Organizer Committee and the Tokyo Marathon the Tokyo Metropolitan Government said in a statement, fecal chloroforms come from human and animal waste and a large amount could indicate illness causing bacteria is also present, while some strains of E. coli can cause diarrhea or illness. Tokyo officials laid much of the blame on a near record 21 straight days of rain in August, saying the water quality varied significantly depending on the weather and expressed confidence they could control the situation. <laughs> Which, yeah, that's, that's easy enough to do. Just, uh, you know, get the weather to cooperate. And maybe don't poop in the river would be the other thing. Uh, they acknowledge the water quality already had needed to be improved around the Marine Park, which is popular tourist district in Tokyo Bay. From 2010 to 2012, they experimented with using underwater screens, which they said were effective in reducing fecal chloroform, although the screens were not tested for effectiveness against other bacteria and are no longer in use. The experiment was completed in three years based upon the results. The TMG is considering what measures to take. When asked why the screens had not been used for the past five years, Tokyo officials said they're working to increase the storage capacity of the Bay Sewage Treatment Facility, which is my comment here is probably the right approach to take. Uh, Vice President John Coates discussed the water quality issues with organizers during regular project review meeting in Tokyo this week. He said the IOC would be looking for how Tokyo plans address the matter so that the health of the athletes in these two sports would not be prejudiced in any way. Have you noticed how... The last Olympics, we had issues with the same issue of water contamination. I didn't. I didn't. I don't. I don't think oh, in I, South America, remember? I just didn't follow the games that close. I'm sorry. Maybe yeah, it, I, we, they had the same uh, issue, but they're having this all over the world. The water is getting polluted because it's the divers and the swimmers. The divers yeah. peeing in the wetsuits. That's it. Well, yeah, you know, there's not that many divers in the Olympics, but the Olympic diving, it's got to be all those swimmers. You know how racehorses are. Yeah. Well, these, these swimmers got to be the same way. Just don't swim in yellow water. Yeah. Just, you don't eat yellow snow, so don't swim in yellow water. Yeah, just, just swim around it. So the yellow sea is really screwed up. <laughs> <laughs> they, they named it. They didn't follow what we do here, which is always name every other lake Clear Lake. I, I still think this is interesting from a couple other factors. Uh, one, St. Joe Waterworks, because of the rain we had last week, overflowed. Mm-hmm. Uh, they said, of course, that no fecal, fecal material uh, exited their premises. They were able to contain it and clean everything up, number one. Number two, there was an art number two. That was a good pun. Uh, in addition, <laughs> a great article in yesterday's paper about boxes for kids and how that if you have one, you really shouldn't have one because they're a breeding ground for germs for your kid for the same reasons we're looking at here. And I, I read through it, and I thought, this is really interesting. You ought to go down to Silver Beach freaking time after the birds have been nesting there for several <laughs> hours and tell me about whatever's on the beach. Now, it's, it's odd. Or So if that's true about a sandbox and that – Birds and other animals may like to use that because they like a dry place to mm-hmm. go to the bathroom. Well, let them play in the dirt. Now, what is the hell the difference? You know, what they need to do is do a study and figure out, are all these kids with all the allergies, did they play in a sandbox or not? Because, you know, all the farm kids who are 
you know, picking up stuff they probably shouldn't. They seem to never or get sick. Or should it be with a pitchfork? Well, yeah, the yeah, exactly. You know, you don't 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 use your hands. That is not a briquette or a uh, cocoa puff. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, you know, sometimes you, you you definitely don't want to take the main line of E. coli, but uh, there can be a, a sense of doing it a little little too restrictive. Uh, did well, I did I also hear that South Haven uh, had uh, a pump station failure where they they had a a major flow? Yes, that's what I heard that also. Yes, yeah. That eventually they called it diluted waste, if I remember in the press release. But uh, yeah, that's uh, still. Well, I, yeah, I'm as soon as like... it hit the as soon as it hit the river, it got diluted. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, they... I'm I'm still yeah, curious. I'm, supposed to... I'm sorry, Matt. Go ahead. Oh, I'm just I'm still curious about how in Japan they used to fertilize the fields with the honey pots. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what a honey pot is. Of oh course. yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I, this was then, wh- how did anybody live? <laughs> yeah. I just don't know anymore. Yeah. Well, if you look at some of the problems we had now, now we're getting a little sidetracked, but, uh, you know, the, the mad cow disease wasn't caused by people eating the brains. It was, we were feeding the cow brains back to the cows. That's what got that going. Uh, but back well, on I the, can, I can understand that twenty-one days of rain, you're going to really flush a lot of stuff into the river that shouldn't, that yeah. you know, normally is not there. Yeah, and, and, and we it, see that with ours. Yeah, and and that certainly because like we had was it six inches there in just a day, which is unusual for us. You know, we we're in an area you get thirty-six inches of rain a year or precipitation, including snow. So you know, six inches in a in less than twelve hours is a is a lot of rain. Um, but, uh, yeah, 21, uh, the, the thing that just means that uh, if, if you're not doing it in an environment that you can directly control, you've got a lot to luck. So are they, I'm assuming, because they talked about this, uh, that they had other periods where they weren't at this level. So, I mean, if they are at this level all year round, it doesn't matter weather-wise, then, then they've got a problem and need to come up with something else. Uh, I, I would think they would pick uh, an alternate location. I mean, could they get a high-speed catamaran and put them out in a boat and send them, you know, two hours south to a, a better location? I, I just don't understand how the screens work. I mean, if it's fine enough, unless you're taking out solid particulate, which is ucky to think about, <laughs> you know, how are you going to, you know, with the microbes and screens? I think your screens are going to be clogged up really freaking quick. Well, they, they stopped the program. So from 2010 to 2012, they experimented using screens, which they said were effective at reducing but what? How much is reducing? I mean, is it significant? Like you said, you know, if you if you pre- prevent the baby Ruth from floating into the area, then uh, maybe that does reduce the bacteria a bit. Well, this next one is: we have tons of underwater waste picked up by divers in Lebanon. Uh, divers scoured the sea for underwater trash and debris along the Lebanese coast over the weekend. Nearly 100 scuba divers volunteered for a shore dive to pick up underwater trash and debris at different spots across Lebanon and then sort them for recycling. Underwater initiative was launched by Maya Saad, a Lebanese expatriate living in Los Angeles in collaboration with the online campaign Live Love Beirut, which was more which has more than 280,000 followers. Bracelets were sold to raise funds for the campaign, which was supported by the United Nations Nations Development Program in Lebanon. Eight dive centers in Lebanon answered Saad's Call and divers jumped in the water off Tabergi, Anif, Chekka, Bolus, 
Hanashush, and Bauer. And I'm sure I didn't get a single one of those right. Live Love Beirut, Beirut said on its Instagram account that almost two tons of underwater waste, mainly plastic cans and glasses, were connect, uh, collected during the dive. So uh, good for them. It's kind of interesting that it was organized by an expatriate who's not even over there. I mean, that that's some pretty hardy organizing if you're going to raise some money. And maybe I, I don't see the dollar amount here, but I understand it was quite a bit that they had they had raised. And then this next one gives me the willies when I see something like this. Young daredevils use a damn spillway as a water slide. Uh, this one is out of Australia. Local council issued a safety warning after a series of videos showing young people bodyboarding down the Cleary Hal Dam slipway were posted online. Tweedshire Council Water and Wastewater Management Manager Anthony Burnham told the ABC that council does not endorse usage of the chute, despite subtitles in the video viewed more than 3 million times that suggest otherwise. The spillway has gotten a large flip bucket at the end, which is an energy dissipating device, Mr. Burham said. With any significant flow, you could be held underwater in that flip bucket and drowned. Obviously, the way down can also be rendered unconscious and drowned. Uh, Mr. Burnham added the council's attempted to have videos removed from social media with limited access. Things like CCTV monitoring and the like have also been vandalized, so it's been very hard for us to try and keep people away, he said. Council may be forced to shut down Cleary Hall Dam the public as a safety measure. So when they say close it down to the public, I'm surprised the public can get out to the dam. Is that because like on, on the dam we have in Barry and you can't get on it, can you? Not anymore. Uh, that was a topic we were talking about the other day uh, when we were talking about the fish in the river. Is Yeah, you cannot because that's by the spillway and you had that um, the evolution where the water comes over and creates that hydraulic. Mm-hmm. They were – and why no one drowned, I don't know before. But people have been knocked off the ledge, but they were away from the hydraulic. Oh, okay. But looking at the pictures here in calm water days, I can see why it's not a big issue. But all you need to do is get some velocity down that chute after 21 days of rain. Oh, yeah. And uh, you're going to have one heck of a hydraulic there at the end of it, and that's going to kill you. Well, I did watch the video, and it looks like a blast. And that's part of the problem is that somebody did such a nice th- job of engineering this spillway that it looks very attractive. It looks smooth, uh, and it's pretty. And then you see these kids having a great time in it, and you think that that's fine. But that was engineered to be an industrial object for a purpose and to have people surfing down it. Uh, it it's, it's not safe. It's not your water park water slide. And then, you know, they've got objects at the end, like they had the, what they call a bucket. So I'm picturing that they've got this barrier. And because you know, of the way this slope is, you know, these guys are picking up quite a bit of speed coming down. If you had any sort of uh, amount of water, more than a trickle that we're seeing here coming down, that gets some pretty good velocity at the end, and they're trying to break it up so they don't have erosion to the banks or the uh, the river bottom. Oh. Did you see the picture where the four boys are on that ledge going out? Yeah. All right. Do you see what the bottom looks like? That's algae, and off to the right-hand side, you can see all the debris in the water. Yeah. Talking about plastic and paper trash. Yeah. There's a great example, but that shows you there's no turbulence in the water at that particular juncture. No, not at th- this time. Uh, and I'm almost wondering where that trash was, if maybe they've got, uh, like a little overflow. Uh, it, it didn't, in the U.S., most of our dams are hydroelectric. Uh, is this a hydroelectric dam? I'm, I'm not seeing if it is or not. I don't see anything about it. 
Yeah, so this might not be hydroelectric. This might be, uh, I don't know, what, what would be other reasons you have a dam? Maybe as a uh, a water, you, know, you, you, you want to have, uh, what do they call that? I can't, like a reservoir. So you want a reservoir, mm-hmm. and then the dam is there to allow it to back up so you got a volume of water, and then the spillway is just a way of letting it overflow. Uh, but I'm just speculating. Uh, but, yeah, I, I would discourage people strongly from from uh, playing around dam. We've uh, we've had uh, friends of the show who have uh, died diving in dams, if you remember, up there in Grand Rapids. I was looking at the Claritol Dam on, on uh, the computer here. It says... It's a minor up or ungated concrete-based rock fill embankment dam with an uncontrolled concrete line chute spillway across the Dune Dune Creek located upstream. Main purpose of the dam is for water supply and creates the artificial Lake Clare Hall. Okay. Looks like it would be a lot of fun. It does. I mean, that's the... sure looks like it to me. Yeah. Yeah. Now, when they talk about the flip at the bottom, the bucket, but, you know, that's that's kind of like a low-head dam to me. Yeah. You know, so you're going to get rolling in there, but, you know, if the current's not bad, yeah, yeah, it's like anything else. Don't ask, don't tell, but when somebody gets hurt, then that's the end of it. Yeah. Nobody's going to complain until somebody puts an eye out. Yeah, I was just looking at a couple of the videos. These videos show... uh, a bit more speed oh, then. than what that other video. It doesn't. It's not quite as sedate. It's, it's still interesting, and I'd probably try it myself. Right. Yeah, I was just thinking, where is this, man? We need to go give it a shot. Gosh. Well, I'm, I'm taking a look at it now, and it's totally different, and Clear I would probably be out there in a heartbeat. Oh, gosh, we would be the troublemakers. So this is time for the yeah. disclaimer. <laughs> Don't do anything stupid. Okay. Don't go beyond your training. I don't know much training for uh, damn spillways. Well, I did see no one was wearing life jackets or anything like that on the boogie boards and stuff. So did they look, did get their head donked, you know. It did Nobody's look like there was helmet. there was some uh, wetsuits, though. I would want to wear that just so I didn't get any road rash. Well, yeah, and then but that gives you a little or bit river of river rash, a little bit of buoyancy. Uh, yeah, but your head if you're face down or face <laughs> backwards, you know. Uh, and this next one, let me see if I can pronounce this, Rodenth, R-O-D-A-N-T-H-E, shipwreck ID'd as World War II transport. A team of East Carolina University grad students led by Nathan Richards, head of the University of North Carolina Coastal Studies Institute Marine Heritage Program, has identified the Pappy's Lane shipwreck in the Palmico Sound near Rothang, as a type of World War II transport. The shipwreck was determined eligible in 2016 for the National Historic Register of the National Register of Historic Places for its information potential through consultations between North Carolina Department of Transportation's Archaeological Group and the State Historic Preservation Office. Can I interrupt real quick? Yeah. What the hell does that mean? For its information potential through consultations between well it meant that they had a lot of fun talking about it and they'll get money okay i i thought that part but i didn't want to say it out loud (laughs) here here. hey this explains a lot the other photo Uh uh-huh nathan richards oversees ecu graduate students 
as they draft a detailed site plan for measurements made on the shipwreck. So they're working on their Ph.D. on this one. So go to the archives, get the plans out, and you can compare yours with the with what you think they are. Well, that'd be fun. Well, it's it? a great learning opportunity. Are you good, you know, for the individuals to learn? Are we going to learn anything about ship construction? No. Are we going to learn how to be an archaeologist? Maybe. I mean, it, it, you're practicing, but there's a difference between something where you can practice on, and does it really need to be a national historic monument? The shipwreck labeled here as the study site is in waist deep water in the path of a planned replacement of the Bonner Bridge. So this is what it probably comes down to. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody wanted to do something, and anybody who doesn't want to do it all of a sudden latches onto this other thing as being important. Um, now, is that offshore of the Atlantic? Inland. At inland, I'm looking at the one picture there, and I can't tell yeah. which well, side is which. It, it's east coast. So well, yeah, oceans, it's North Carolina. Oceans would be on the east. So unless this photo is upside down, you're seeing wave action on the right and no wave action on the left. So I would say that's probably Atlantic Ocean on the right. Okay, I just couldn't figure out what the emergency ferry ramp was either. I don't know, but it looks like it's got a cut into it. Yeah. A dredged, dredged well, area. Looks like that's been there for a long time. World War II, maybe. Yeah. And well, it it's, would be a perfect place for a derelict to let it go. Because, yeah, it could be easy. You know, you park it on the inland side just north of the ferry or the cutout, and then you just let it settle, and it becomes a, you know, a derelict site for backfill and uh, as a breakwater. Look how wide the island is right there and where it sits, just like they wanted it as a breakwater. Yeah. But I'm just speculating. What do I know? Yeah. I'm sorry. I'll let you get back to your reading there. Yeah. Well, well they at one point they were saying that they thought this was a barge that had been abandoned. It wasn't until they did some more looking that they said it was one of these ships. Uh, I figured my first clue would have been looking at the ass end of it and saw the pillar blocks for the shaft might have given me a clue that at one time it was uh, you know, motorized. Yeah, I'm just I'm just skimming the rest of it. Uh, I mean, we'll have we'll have the links to this in the show notes if you want to read the whole thing. It's uh, I mean, it would be it's great for students if you want to learn something and practice on it. But this is really junk park there. I mean, there's for a fairly modern wreck. Uh, there's little story or history around it as to why it's at that location. So, uh, so there we go. Well, like they said here, they were saying after mapping and dredging, the dredging, of course, the targeted areas, they were able to match the stern with other details of two other related classes of World War II gunboats, landing craft, or LCI. And down here it says, these watercraft, each built to the same blueprints, but with some modifications, were introduced late into the Pacific theater of World War II. Yeah. Well, like you said, what's what is the purpose of study for this boat? We've got plans. No, now that they've identified it, yeah. what do they need? Yeah. Well, well, like Jim said, though, it's a good training avenue. Yeah, I, I would shallow. agree. But I'm sure there's somebody who uh, had some interest in that area who's trying to do something, and now they've, they're stopped because of this. The shipwreck was determined eligible in 2016 for the National Register of Historic Places. 
Again, I'd like to say based on what? Yeah. Well, and and here's the thing is, you know, maybe we we should do a special episode just on motivation. You know, who who are all the stakeholders and politics involved with this sort of activity? Is the person who makes this decision, is there a downside to them making a decision? So say somebody takes their 1985 Bayliner and crashes it into the the embankment, sits there, nobody realizes it's there, and we discover it 10 years later. And then I'm, you know, some archaeological expert, and I, I try to make a case that this should be protected. What's the downside of me making that, other than maybe being ridiculed uh, by other people in my profession who don't agree with me? But if you happen to have everybody who agrees that those, you know, mid eighty bayliners are really significant and should be protected, then why not? So that's what I question: is you know, is, what, is what's what's the motivation of these people making these decisions? Let the, let the hate mail come in. Uh, you can send us in feedback. <laughs> the show at scoobobsess dot com. <laughs> uh, we love our archaeologist friends. Don't take it personally, especially if you go look at our shipwrecks, but. You know, I do actually have some friends who are underwater archaeologists. Yes. I was trying to think of a funny joke, but we'll be nice. Um, so I think that does it for Scuba the News. It was a really light week, unless anybody else had anything else. I think we'll we'll skate on. I, I didn't think to look for anything myself. Well, there just wasn't I, I a whole have, lot. Go ahead. I do have one. There was a, you know, we don't often hit on it, but it was a public safety diver who was um, lost last Friday in a training dive, and his body was recovered this week, so that's, uh, you know, you think about how dangerous scuba diving is in general. It's pretty safe, but when you think about diving in rivers, diving in limited visibility, diving in strong current the things some public safety divers have to do for search and recovery of victims or recovery of evidence that's needed in criminal cases because you may not be able to get a conviction without that gun that got tossed in the river that's flowing 10 knots to 15 knots current sometimes. You know, they uh, have to need to go off to the people who do that. And unfortunately, they lost a diver up in Buffalo last week. So our condolences to the friends and family. I do know that protocol for most of those established that the evidence and the other items are not worth the life of a rescuer or recovery person. So I'm curious what, you know, preceded them going out if the environment was that bad. Do you know the details of the dive? It was a training dive in an area that they usually train at. Um, Recently, you know, then not long ago, they did a recovery, or actually, they did a rescue in that same general area of a car that went, uh, you know, into the water, and their crew was able to rescue and save the woman who had gone in the water. So, you know, they train in this area on a regular basis to be prepared for calls that do come in in that area. But unfortunately, in this one incident, uh, the diver. Yeah. Somehow his line parted, the diver did not surface, and he was not found until about three days later. That's so, that's amazing to me. They'll love you know, most of those have those armored lines with their communications. So for that to get severed is quite 
That's quite interesting. Yeah, there's you know, but some information coming out on it, but not the level of detail that divers would want or anyone would want for lessons learned from this incident. And I'm sure at some point that report will come out and it will be discussed at length and reviewed at length. So where, where did you capture that at? This. Pardon me? Where did you capture it? Uh, it was Facebook, Public Safety Divers. I think I posted a, a piece on it too, so I can share it if you'd like to. Like okay, I know, the, I know the one you're talking about now. Yeah, yeah. Buffalo, in the Niagara River in Buffalo. Yeah, but that's that's the thing is, uh, you know, kind of kind of like the nine eleven. You know, you got everybody trying to get out of the building, and what are the uh, fire department and law enforcement people doing? They're they're climbing right into danger. So, mm-hmm. and that not only includes the actual event, but the preparation for it. Well, let's see. Did anybody get out and get any time in the water this last week with the with the rain this last weekend? Uh, I, I ferment there. I thought I was going to be able just to dive in my front yard. Well, I've noticed uh, we've had several Stanley steamers through the neighborhood uh, cleaning carpets that were wet. And I know my neighbor two doors down had the, the, the people there trying to pump some stuff out of his basement. Ooh. Yeah. And, and so that's, there was a lot of rain out here. And, and that's where you're hoping that they're pumping stuff that came from your house and not the neighbors. <laughs> well, since I don't have a septic tank and neither do they, I'm pretty sure it was rainwater. Ah, okay. Um, so uh, was there anybody got out for a thirsty Thursday this week? Well, I think John was going out tonight off of Merrimont. I think uh, Mary Beth was going to join him. Uh, I was, but had uh, other callings I had to mm-hmm. go to. And I just got stitches out yesterday, so I wasn't about to get in the river. Wasn't feeling that well today anyway, but yeah. yeah. No, I have, I've been dry for at least 10 days because I had a dive-related accident and got stitches in my hand. So yeah. what do you, does that mean? You, you immerse your hand in new skin so it's totally waterproofed? No. I should do something. It, it won't burn, though, now that it's sort of healed, will it? Um, I don't know. I can't feel much in part of it. So, well, well I've I've I mean, heard if you if you drink uh, a gallon of the river water, then what comes in through the hand uh, won't matter. That's probably true, because you'll be passing everything out to the other end. No, I mean I'm going to share my story if I can, Darren. Sure. I, I made the mistake of placing picking up a tank with part of my hand over the air exhaust, the discharge part of the tank, and it was a DIN valve, so I had one of those plastic or Delrin screw-in caps in there covering and protecting the threads, but what happened when I picked it up, I went to sling it up into the truck, and it rolled the valve open, so I've got an open valve on a 3,500 PSI tank with a plug screwed into the tank neck the din fitting and the plastic plug the little drain hole in the din fitting for safety couldn't let the air out fast enough so the plastic plug blew right into my hand just blew it apart so I had pieces of plastic sharp edges of plastic plus the force of the air go right into the web of my fortunately I was lucky in that it went between the web of my thumb and my first finger I didn't get the full force of the air into the middle of the hand or something, anything. But between the force and the plastic, it ripped my thumb pretty good, and I ended up with 10 stitches 
in the webbing between my thumb and my first finger. Ouch. So, lesson to be learned there is follow the advice that I keep telling everybody. Don't put your hand in front of the air discharge when you pick up a tank. That's the reason why. Could have been a lot worse. That sounds like good advice. Yeah, I, uh, I, I it definitely reinforces that uh, you, you got to follow those uh, good habits all the time. You never know when that's uh, going to get you another way. And and it, it, it's kind of surprising that as common as those type of valves are and that type of fitting is, that something like that hasn't happened more often. be interesting to see if there's any statistics on it. I don't know, but I'm going to write it up as a training article and submit it to Dan and see if they'll publish it. Because it really was a lesson learned that I've got photos to go along with it, first-hand experience, and I live to tell about it and still yep. have all my fingers and toes. Yep. Might have. look at Dan's history on that. Uh, someone mm-hmm. was telling me that that has been covered by Dan before because of, just like you said, has happened before. Yep. Well, does anybody have any diving plans coming up? Because I imagine that the, uh, the river went from just uh, – a pretty nice low condition to chocolate brown and ripping across the the whole length or width. Well, I would like to get out in the big lake this weekend. Tomorrow looks like it's going to be a great day. Yeah, I heard Saturday was supposed to rain. Is that correct? We've got a frontal system coming in? Uh, yeah, and then it's going to be nasty on Sunday. And... All right, that's why I had to get the aircraft out of here and get it parked someplace else. If I didn't do it today, it wasn't going to get done. Well, I do have a safety slash other topic. Okay, go for it. For that. Yeah, let's go well, for it. Remember last week we did talk a little bit about uh, boat safety mm-hmm. and diving? Yep. Well, we also brought that up at the club because that was also one of the articles we had printed. And we did have some good discussion on that and what to do with. So I, I looked around a little bit more. I'm going to verbalize some stuff here I wrote down about that. All right. Anyway, diving from a, a private boat is more involved than most divers think because it's an activity which few new divers are well prepared because the majority of divers do their open water training from a private boat or do not do their uh, dives on a private boat. Therefore, few newly certified divers are qualified to dive from a private boat unless accompanied by someone trained or experienced in this type of diving. Now, diving from a private boat, meaning not a commercial boat venture, requires the skill of both the boat captain and dive master, meaning one person must assume the duties and responsibilities of captaining the boat. Because safe boat handling is serious business, even when simply out for a pleasure cruise, and even more so whenever an issue when divers are involved. From that aspect, they say anyone responsible for the operation of a boat, large or small, should be trained. And it says if you, you know, If you own a boat, whether or not you plan to use it for diving, it is highly recommended that you attend such a course on basic boating rules and boat handling courses. And we know, like a lot of people on inland lakes, must not have had any training because they have no clue what a dive flag is. Now, when you're on the private boat, somebody on board must assume the duties of a dive master. This person needs to coordinate the decisions of where and when and the type of dive. Is it an anchored boat dive? Is it a drift dive? Now, a lot of people get used to dive charters where the decisions like this are already made for you. But when diving from a private boat, somebody on board must assume that leadership role. 
So the key items are the captain and dive master. They can be the same person or two different people. The most important thing is the bases be covered that someone on board is responsible for handling the boat and someone for coordinating the diving. Like I said, the people at the helm of commercial dive charters are licensed captains. They're trained in boat handling, maintenance, safe boating practices, first aid, and are prepared to react to emergencies. Anyone who assumes the responsibility of captaining a private boat should possess similar skills and knowledge. Examples are, before departing the dock, captain should have completed a thorough boat check of the major systems, making sure the boat's fuel, engine oil, water levels are good. Anybody taking a boat out should possess the basic knowledge of the systems and how to make minor repairs if one of them fails, like changing out a spark plug, making sure the build system works. In addition, the captain should always be aware of the weather and water conditions and the near-term forecast, and then be able to read weather conditions as they unfold, because sometime on our lake, they can change in 15 minutes. We're saying restricted visibility, rough water, windy conditions all make for poor diving and increase safety concerns both on the boat and below the water. Captains and or the dive master should be prepared to turn back or cancel an outing even before departing the dock if the situation warrants. It said the captain should also be familiar with the area being dived. Shipping lanes, restricted areas, high traffic areas, restricted marine preserves. In our case, what do we have local? Nuclear power plants. Ain't a real good idea to go messing around on their intake tunnels. They frown upon that and so does the Coast Guard. So don't be caught unaware or do necessary research before embarking. Other aspect is possessing navigation skills. So even though most boats seem to have a GPS or a cell phone with GPS, captains of the boat should be able to read navigation charts, correctly interpret nautical lights, flags, and signals. Those are skills crucial to safe boating. Uh, you know, you can't say none of those. I mean, all of those are true. Yeah. What else can he have? To, you know, should he be skilled at? Well, he should be skilled at anchoring a boat or tying to moorings, having the proper anchor to hold the boat, you know, make sure it's fast enough, enough line for the necessary scope, know the appropriate location to place the anchor based on the wind and the water conditions. That's experience talking. Mm-hmm. You know, allowing an anchor to drag into the dive site can be damaging, unsafe, not to mention leaving the boat in a different position so the guys can't find it when it's time to go up. More often than not, what happens is you get a snag, everybody's on board, and then somebody's got to figure out who's going to go down to get the snag out or cut the line. A dive boat captain must be skilled in practice at maneuvering the boat in position to allow floating divers to safely reboard the vessel. Wind and water conditions and the proximity of water hazards are important considerations when making such a maneuver. You've got to maintain a keen awareness of the presence of potential hazards. Deciding where and how to retrieve a floating diver when live boating or drift diving. Totally different items, you know, from that of an anchored boat. So the captain and the person on board serving as a dive master must collaborate on determining the safest entry and exit plan. And then the divers must thoroughly understand what is expected and how it's expected for them to, you know, to function. It makes sense. How do you get off the boat? A lot of people don't want you on the bows or the you know, the side railings. You don't want to damage your nice boat. If the boat is not at anchor or moored when divers exit or, or enter or exit the water, live boating is more dangerous, requires more coordination than diving from an anchored private boat. And that sounds down to reason. They said breaking bubbles on the surface are an indication divers are below, but 
you can't count on the divers being positioned below the bubbles. Currents move the bubbles horizontal through the water column, and the diver is swimming because the bubbles break into the surface in a different location than diver. And with rebreathers or rebreathers, there's little or no bubble trail. The captain must ensure that the boat is not in gear, propeller not engaged, and if possible, have the engine turned off when you're starting to do the, the divers getting in and out of the boat. Uh, it said, prior to a live boat drift dive, all divers should be thoroughly briefed on how the pickup will perform. Once you're in the water trying to tell somebody what you want them to do, it's a little hard. It talked about generally they're instructed to remain in a group after surfacing. The captain maneuvers the boat within a safe distance before giving the okay signal. It's safe to approach. They also reference divers should never approach a running boat unless instructed to do so and can be done in a safe manner. They said the most important and most often violated a rule of diving from a private boat is not leaving a responsible person on the boat when divers are underwater. And if they did, the person did not have boat handling experience. Said the person must be capable of operating the boat, using the radio, how to handle emergency situation, how to recall a diver if necessary. They should be attended to the divers in the water, monitoring their whereabouts, if not with a flag, by watching their bubbles, listening for voices and calls for assistance, staying awake and not getting overly occupied or preoccupied with other activities. It says, being left on, the, on board the boat to tend it is necessary in a responsible position. Equipping the boat said every private boat should be equipped with basic safety gear. Now we're talking for diving especially. First item comes to mind is the diver flag and the white, uh, blue and white alpha flag are both as necessary for your area of diving. Is your boat equipped with that marine radio and does everybody know how to use it? Did you have and check your cell phone reception in case you need that? Do you have your charts and navigation equipment in case the GPS faults and you're way offshore? In addition to the standard first aid kit, a well-equipped dive boat will have a, they said medical oxygen tank, but basically a Dan O2 system because that is the first line of defense in a DCS system or, you know, event. Uh, do you have a diver recall system or do you have an identified routine for signal divers in an emergency that they need to come to the surface? And this is one of the items we talked about at the dive meeting. They need to know the routine, and it should be communicated to all the divers during the boat briefing. Is a life ring with a sufficient line attached, which you quite often use as either a current or a tag line, is it available? And as we all know, it sure is you know, really nice to have if you missed a boat, and there's a current running, or you can hang on to the rope to keep you in position, and they can tow you back in. Um, you're up in the straits. We always put one out. Uh, they talk about to aid the boater and spotting divers on the surface. Divers should be ex equipped with a signal, surface signaling device, such as a safety sausage, uh, a whistle. Many often carry strobes, mirrors, chem lights, all of those to help the person on the boat find them. It also said people who are taking divers out should also carry a few, spart, a few spare parts and backup dive gear. A tank valve, O-ring is a must, spare weights, diver tools to take your regulator apart, maybe a square or a spare BCD, a regulator setup, a depth gauge, extra mask, fins, and most divers carry enough spares that you should be able to you know, do something with that. Uh, the key item they said is to ensure a safe, enjoyable diving experience. Somebody has to assume that leadership role. And 
The first question he should always ask is, or be asked, is where are we diving? The sites selected should not exceed the training and capabilities of the least experienced diver on board. Recognizing the abilities of everyone involved and planning the dive accordingly is important, is a important point to remember. Uh, other item is, what is the exit and entry technique to be used? As safety and ease of getting in and out of the water been considered, considered for all divers, the young ones and the old ones, the heavy set and those who aren't. The dive plan or profile should be geared to fall within the capabilities of the least experienced diver. So quite a bit of stuff there and most of it common sense. And question is, do we do it? Uh, I, I mean, I, I think those are all good, valid points. I do believe that there's some compensating controls that you may put in place. Uh, I, I think you need to be mechanically familiar with your boat. Uh, but I, you know, me and, and the few times I have owned a boat, you know, the, you know, I can check for fuel. I can check for, you know, look and I know where spark plug wires go and stuff, but if it gets into anything too advanced, you know, that's, that's not me. And that's where the, uh, you know, calling was at the towboat USA, uh, comes in. So provided that you've got radios and now with cell phones as a way of calling them, uh, that would have to be my compensating control for, for something along those lines. Got any side comments here, Jim? I think it's all very excellent ideas and comments. Um, I know we we do most of it. The safety piece is there, I believe. There are some things we do that technically are not right. I mean, there are times when it's dead flat that we don't leave uh, a person on the boat above. That's the big thing. Yeah, that's... You know, who knows what could happen or another boat coming in or something like that. But, you know... Um, that's the one big thing that we're probably yeah. at fault at. Yeah. We we do that occasionally, but I think also we note that quite often we have more than one boat out. And two, I've not experienced that in any dive that we make that's deep. No, I don't think I've... Uh, probably the one thing that we need to probably do better at, I think there's some assumptions, you know, since all of us have been around quite a while diving... Is that maybe does everybody know how to run the boats they're on? Because it's you know it's kind of like who's bringing out the boat this weekend. So does everybody know how to to drive Bob's boat or Jim's boat or Kevin's boat? Uh, and and we may, but I don't know if that's ever been formalized where uh, anybody's taken the time. You know, because uh, each each boat can have its quirks, and if you don't realize you got to flip the little switch over here on the left and then jiggle the handle and turn the key. Uh, and then the safety catch is just a little bit funny. You might not know how to start that boat. Well, like the point that was brought up is, what do you do if you're on the boat, you're moored, you got people on a deep wreck, and you look up and you got a diver that's way the heckin' gone away from the boat, down current, and you can't tell if they're in distress or not. What do you do? And the comments were really good because, one, you can't unhook and go because now you're leaving everybody else in deep water is this where, you know, you make a decision. Do you call the Coast Guard and say, hey, you got a loose diver? That would sound reasonable. And I think that was a suggestion, wasn't it, Jim? Yeah, that was. And that was an excellent point that I I know I had never thought of, of, you know, call for help, get someone else coming out and helping them. You know, we've always been, you know, when, when, when you're on my boat, I feel some responsibility um, 
and you know, it, it, you choose to get off the boat, so the dive is on you. But you know, I want to make sure I come back with everybody who went out, and we all were safe and had a good time. Uh, so, and I'm in a situation where we're you know private citizens, just diving, no dive master, no boat captain. It's just you know, I'm the guy who's going out diving and wanted some company that day. But it is a it is a good item to know what do you do for a recall if you are on a boat, and that's what we talked about last night. We need to be working on that a little better for ourselves. Yeah, yeah. And the other is communication, so everybody's on the same page, and it's awkward when we have not awkward, but it's interesting that quite often we'll have more than one boat out there with different divers with different capabilities, and some are doubles, some are on rebreathers, and some are on single tanks that. By the time some guys are going down, others are coming back. So there's always somebody on the boat in transit, if you know what I mean. Yeah. We've been on that many, many times, probably more often than not. But we still don't have a good protocol for, I got a rebreather diver down there at 120 feet. Everybody else is on the boat. I don't know where he's at. Yeah. Yeah, because the thing with the rebreather diver is you're counting on him because a lot of our diving tends to be solo-ish type of diving, even when we've got large groups. So we're counting on him being able to fly a safety sausage to signal us that he may need some assistance or, uh, you know, maybe he needs us to drop some gas down or something. But uh, if you haven't prepared for that in advance, uh, you wouldn't know. And if something happens to him where he, he's incapacitated and can't do that, I mean, unfortunately, I think if that situation happened and there was a, a decent current, it might be a recovery several days later is what we're looking at as opposed to uh, somebody coming up successfully from a dive. All right. Well, the key item there is you, you got to make sure you're not embarrassed to call for help. Yeah. I'd rather look a little silly to the Coast Guard because the guy's not hurt or nothing. But what if you didn't? Yeah. And he did have a problem because you can't see him very well. That was the other point is how do you communicate underwater with each other? How do you communicate when you're on the boat and the diver's in the water? Yeah. Have you talked about the protocol for what hand signals you're going to be using so you really know if a guy is okay or not? Yeah. So it's really good food for thought, and we had some good discussion, and I was glad to see it. Yeah. And the majority of our dives, with a few exceptions, like we do need a better recall system, mm-hmm. I think we do a decent job, but there's some places I think we're going to be able to do better now that we've talked about it. Yeah. Well, the, the one thing for me as, you know, I'm, I'm not the captain, I'm not the dive master, and I, this last year, I didn't get out to dive as, as much as I have in the past. But there's been times where I was getting on a boat and it was somebody who I hadn't gone with. So almost as probably the more experienced diver boat person, I should be asking questions of this captain, which you, it's kind of unusual. You know, they, they're, they're being gracious and they're letting you get on their boat, but I don't know anything about, or at least I didn't in some of these people. I should probably have been quizzing them. You know, is, is there, is there like a, an appropriate ten questions that I should be asking? Uh, I, do you beat around the bush and hope that the, the the boat ride out there is long enough to figure out if this guy's uh, capable of running a boat or not? Or uh, well, Jim has always been good about that. Meaning, if you're going to be on the surface for whatever reason, you're the man in the boat, right? And this is a great time. Jim has always said. There's the switches. This is how you start the boat. Oh, yeah. This is how you do this. This is the bolt. And here's the freaking radio. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jim's always been good about that. And I, and a lot of times I didn't want to do something in the early days. 
But after a while and you do it, you're a lot more comfortable sitting in that boat because yeah. you have some options. Well, yeah, it, it's nice to have a little bit of uh, time actually running the vessel. Uh, gives you a little bit of confidence so if you feel like if you need to do it. And and like like we've said is that, you know, we've got, you know, three or four boats that in the club that everybody's been on for years. Uh, as the club's been growing recently, which is probably a topic for another episode, it's been kind of nice because we've got a lot of new uh, divers and boat captains and things out. Uh, but, you, you know, there's things that we take it for granted that have been working for so long, uh, you don't necessarily know the the new members if uh, they've got that same experience. Yeah, taking boater training I think is extremely important, even if you're not going to be captaining people. Mm-hmm. It's good reference. What I learned, I learned from Jim and what not to do. Like, oh, you don't run over the red thing with a light on it, and you're on this side of the buoy if it's red, and that blue is this. It's really nice to know that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's a no-wake zone. Well, what does that mean and how fast? Yeah. For for here in our area, we have, uh, at least we, we used to, and I assume they still in existence, but you had the, the Coast Guard, and then you also had the Power Squadron. And I always would recommend, when I hear a friend getting a boat, saying, hey, have you taken the Power Squadron's boating course? Uh because that was kind of a, a 101. You know, they would they would teach you all the basic techniques of what it took to run a boat and what the rules are. So, you know, when the Coast Guard pulled you over, you weren't surprised by all those things you you didn't have. Jim, do you know and, power, and the Power Squadron still exists? Uh, yeah, it's Coastal Auto Auxiliary. Yes. Yes, they're around. Okay, good. Uh, they're the ones who are doing a lot of the educational programs for Michigan Operators Certificate. And a lot of the inspection programs. Mm-hmm. And if you go to America, americasboatingcourse.com, they've got online classes doing exactly what we're talking about. Yeah, and, and it's good. There's there's something to be said for hands-on training because you can read it all in the book until you've tried to, you know, uh, incredibly local. But if you're trying to get into the uh, St. Joe side there on the island, you got a good current, and you're trying to come into – into the dock there uh that's something you can't describe to somebody how to do they you almost have to have some hands on and and deal with the current and coming into a slip the other item i love having somebody on a boat is when you're trying to get in and you've got any kind of chop Mm -hmm. it's really really fantastic when you got somebody on the surface can grab a hold of your bc or toss you a line or take your fins and weight belts so when you try to get up it's a lot easier if you don't have a built-in platform slash commercial dive ladder. Yeah. yeah, you can't, that guy on the surface is great. Yeah, I, I think I think this, you know, we talked about um, in behind some behind-the-scenes stuff, we've been talking about some changes for the show of, of different things, and I think maybe we need to do a series, uh, just little four- or five-minute videos on some of these topics. You know, I, I like that, Jim, that, that, that photo that you posted, Jim, of, uh, you know, helping, friends helping friends. Friends helping friends. I mean, and that's... You know, there's all these little tips and tricks and things that we've you know know how to do and how we help out and uh, maybe we can share a little bit of that in some some education this next year. And yeah. sometimes I, mean, the, just, I was gonna say yeah. sometimes the oopsies, like when you back up your boat and all the gear in the back went under the water. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, I I remember that. I mean, best laid plans. <laughs> yes. So, but you learn from those that are more embarrassing, but. Yeah, sure as heck, not going to do that again. No, not with my gear. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, that was uh, that was a, that was a fun one. There's a there's a video on YouTube. We'll have to have to link to in an abandoned channel that we no longer have figured out. Yeah. But all all good okay. stuff. I, I I like that. That's uh, very good information. Yeah, I'm going to be gone for just a minute. Okay, Jim, did you have anything yep. you wanted to cover or plug? Um, no, no. But uh, just adding on to boat diving. Boat diving is different mm-hmm. than walking in off the beach. Or stepping in off a dock. Um, yeah. Now you you read some of the stories. You know there are some great great comments. Um, I, I heard the term "dirt dart" used in a book about diving on the Andrea Doria. <laughs> Diver jumped in, forgot to put air in his BC, didn't have his tank turned on, oh. and went you know straight to the bottom because he was heavy. Uh, no air in his BC, no air in his suit, and boom, he was a, a dirt dart head for the mud. Wow. You know, so it was, the, the bottom can be a long way down, well, and if the air's not on the tank or the tank's not turned on or there's not air in the BC, I mean, we've, we've got a good program that we walk through, you know, before you normally before you step off the back of my boat, and that's, uh, you know, Watching your gauge, making sure you've put air in the BC, you've breathed off of both of your gauges, and you put a little air in your in your dry suit if you're using it. We kind of force people to test all their yeah. places air can come out to make sure it's coming out. Yeah. Well, you know, kind of back on that. So that was a diver on the Andrea Doria. So I'm guessing that if he was diving on the Andrea Doria, even if you're maybe not the wisest diver, I'm betting he at least was a somewhat seasoned and experienced diver. So I would mark up that to, you know, a, a unique number of variables that have happened. And one of it, one of the variables would be a new location. And he probably had shortcutted his, his checklist or maybe wasn't in the habit of doing that checklist. And, you know, that, that's a tough way to find out. Did you, have you ever noticed how, we're much better with new people than we are with our own experienced people. Oh, yeah. Or I dive you, always, you want to make sure the new guys remember and do it, and you're kind of looking out for them versus those who have been on the boat all the time, and it's like, you know better than that. Yeah. But, you know, we need to go through that checklist. I mean, Mac, how many times have you taken off an airplane that you've been flying, and you still use a printed checklist every time you go out? I know I prom- you do. I promised myself. Done it. I promised myself when I started that that no matter how busy or hurried I got, I would run my checklist to the letter, and I do because especially I mean when I'm by myself, I still do it. But mm-hmm. if I take anybody up, I have them do it with me. Mm-hmm. Both, it's a training exercise. Most people find it fun because they're doing something. I always say, "Do you want to go flying, or do you want to go fly?" Mm-hmm. Now, flying, you're a spectator. If you want to go fly, you're part of the crew. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but, I, and, you know, when and, you're talking about doing the boat and you're getting off and your air's turned off, how many people, I don't think there's anybody in the club who has never walked into that freaking river, went down, <laughs> came back up, and said, damn it, forgot to turn my air on. Yeah. Whereas if they'd have jumped off the boat, it's like, shit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, it ain't the same, people. It yeah. is not. You know, no. just little things. You know, I spend time when I've got people in the water. When you've got that trail line hanging out behind the boat or you've got the what we call the geriatric line going from the bow to the stern of the boat to help you pull yourself 
against the current to get up to the anchor line. You know, we take time to show people the proper way, I don't know if the best thing that we are aware of to how to go underneath that line and not get tangled up in it. Yeah. You know, and it's a simple thing when somebody shows it to you, but if no one's ever shown you that simple little trick of, you know, pull the line tight from the boat, put your hand on the side of your body that's the furthest away from the boat, use that hand to pick it up and then spin underneath inside. So you're basically creating a bridge over your head between you and the boat and you spin inside that. You're not going to get it hung up on your tank valves or anything else. And you can keep it in your hand, get it away from you, and you go. But, you know, until somebody shows you that trick, you never think about it. And along the same line, though, it's like whenever we're doing our grubbing in the shallows, how often does that line of your flag get tangled in your regulator? you got to be prepared for it because you know it's going to happen. Yep. You know, what do you do? So that's, that's like we're saying, when we have new people, we're very more, much more cautious and observant for the new people than we are with the our ourselves. Yeah. And and you're an example for these others even though we're not instructors. Uh when you're when you're diving with a new diver, uh they're they're looking up to you and they're watching what you do and if you're shortcutting a routine or uh, a best practice, uh, you know, they could end up duplicating that. When when I used to watch some of the commercial divers do tunnel work, they have a set routine and you do not talk to them when they're getting prepped. Right. Uh, when we're right. packing my parachute, I do not talk to people when I'm packing my parachute at at certain junctures, all right? Certain parts, eh, nothing's going to happen. But when I'm getting pleated and my line straight, leave me alone for a minute because I don't want to forget to set my brakes. And I definitely want to cock my pilot chute, you know? you got to know when to talk and not to talk. And the same way we're on the boot, you know, you you're – you get so used to getting into a rhythm and doing things in a certain sequence, then you get a newbie who wants to help you, and they hand you something, or they give you something, or they hook something for you, and it completely throws off your sequence. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the one thing that my grandfather, who is a, is a, was a great boats person, uh, is lines coming up to the dock. You didn't throw the line until he throw, told you to throw the line. And mm-hmm. you didn't grab something from the boat. You know, like if you're coming up to the dock, you didn't grab that bullard or cleat or something until he told you to. Because if you, you, you could change the whole dynamic of the boat if you took that out oh, yourself yeah. and did it. That has happened. Yeah. And or pull your arm out times. or get a hell of a rope burn. Yeah. Because you know, as, as a boat captain, you're trying to negotiate and you've got current and all these other things going. If all of a sudden you have a vector of force acting on that boat that you're not counting for, that can just be all sorts of crazy. So I think this gives, gives me some ideas for topics for this next year. We'll have to add these in and, and come up with something because it's, uh, I, I think there's a lot that we can share with, with listeners and viewers on a, a video version that we could show them what to do. Not, substituting the dive training but there's all these soft auxiliary skills that you know patty and ssi don't talk about that are all part of diving whether it's on a boat or a river you know some of the prep some of the the situations that come in and until somebody who's who's seen a few seasons has has shows you how to do it that it kind of comes together and all makes sense i'm of the opinion the best way to learn is to teach yeah because you're forced to 
I want to make sure I give them the best and the most and the most correct information and actions. Therefore, I'm going to spend more time prepping myself, which makes me a better diver. Well, there's been things that I do, and I'm talking outside of scuba diving, that I've done for so long, I can't remember necessarily the reason why I do it that way. I just know it works best. And if I have to train somebody, I'm anticipating, you know, how can I be an expert if they ask me a simple why question of why do you do it that way if I can't answer it? So I'll research it, which will then refresh it in my mind. And, uh, you know, maybe I've been doing it right all along, uh, but maybe I haven't. So it's that it's extra effort that can be a value. If, if you had one tool that you feel makes you a more comfortable and safe diver, and by tool, I mean anything, I, I'd say what is it going to be? For myself, I have a great bailout bottle, and I have the best regulator on that bailout. That Having that with me makes me feel more comfortable because, you know, and also I make sure it works before I put it on. That is my little, I don't know if you'd call that a crutch or not. What makes you feel more comfortable when you're in the water, especially on a deep wreck or something? Is there any particular item? I know my bailout is my buddy. What about you guys? I feel a lot more confident when I'm diving my doubles because I know I've got full redundancy and plenty of air, which is very similar to your bailout situation. It's just a bigger cushion for me. Well, Darren, for, for me, and this year is a perfect example of that, is it's not trying something new when I'm going deep. You know, I've had some opportunity this year after, you know, because I, I had my first dive of the season here, was it September, which is insane. But it, just the way the season worked out, that was the first time I, I was able to get out. And uh, not doing a deep dive until after I've got everything dialed in and I all my gear set and I got my practice and habits. I think that's what would, would have helped me this year had I gotten deep. Uh, you know, cause w when you're going deep is not the time to, to try something new, you know, to, to change out your BC or to try a different wetsuit or change your weighting, um, you know, get some extra dives in and get that stuff dialed in. So you've reduced the number of variables for the season. Along that line, I think the issue is you never do more than one new thing at a time. Exactly, I mean, one at a time. I mean, why overload yourself if you've got a new new, new dry suit, Yeah. new inflation system? Oh, and here, I'm going to take my camera, my new camera. That's two items now. Yeah. Well, you should master that new one first before you start adding something extra to it. Well, and that's what kind of made me nervous about, I, you know, I've, I've changed from BC to dive wing, and that was a fairly easy change, and part of it was because that was the only thing I was changing, was the method of my buoyancy and my attachments were pretty similar. Uh, but I actually went to a, uh, I had to <laughs> replace my, my old, uh, ancient BC with a new one and it had integrated weights. So that did make me a little nervous because now I've got integrated weights on top of a new BC. So in my mind, that was two things that changed and I didn't know is, uh, is, you know, cause it, yeah, it's, it, now that I've I've got the integrated weights, I'm like, God, why did I? It's like the, how I was with the dry suit. Why didn't I do this sooner? Because I, I, I agree on that integrated weights. Let me tell you. Yeah, because I, you know, I had the because you know I'm 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 the the typical old white male where you know somewhere around age thirty my butt disappeared. So I've got all gut, no butt. So that doesn't really work well. The dive dive belt, and doesn't matter how much you cinch it up. 
when you're on the surface, as soon as you get in the water, it seems to be about a half cheek down, and then you're trying to, as you're, as you're, as you're floating, you're, you're doing these convulsions and twists, trying to pull it up. You know, I'm thinking I need dive belt suspenders. Uh, so that that was kind of a concern, and actually, it, uh, it, I mean, it's good to be concerned about it. It meant that it was something I was watching and prepared for, but uh, boy, that is, that is so nice having that all together. Well, is it getting to be that time? I think it is. Uh, some excellent topics. Uh, if you want to follow us on Facebook, we're on facebook.com forward slash scuba obsessed. Our website, www.scubaobsessed.com. Oh, let's see. Twitter at scuba obsessed. And then for feedback, the show at scuba obsessed.com. And, uh, you can go to our contact page on the website and, uh, we'd like some ideas. If you have any topics you want us to cover either in video or audio, we're going to start doing that. We'll get ready. Um, I was going to try and do a test today of Discord audio streaming, and then uh, my install of a piece of software kind of decided it wasn't going to die on me, so we're postponing that for another week. That will be coming. Um, so I guess we got to do the obligatory beg for money, and uh, we certainly appreciate it. We've had a lot of people over the last year and a half since we've been on Patreon uh, donating money, but just a little amount, even a dollar. We're going to add some of that in there because uh, uh, even though you can donate any amount, we've only got certain plans. I'm going to revamp those again coming up here. But if you can donate a little bit, we got some expenses coming up, and I, I shared some of those this week with Mac. And I think he was a little surprised just how you know a dollar here and a few dollars here adds up. And there's some cost to putting this on and keeping things hosted. Uh, and we do it because it's fun. We're, you know, nobody's making any sort of money on this, but we'd like to try and cover some expenses and then offer you some new some new information, knowledge, experiences, opportunities through the podcast. Uh, you know, we, we've, we've pretty much veered away from advertising because as soon as you take those advertisers on, you're beholden to them and they're going to tell you what you can and can't say. And, you know, we're not sponsored by any uh, organizations, dive companies. Uh, about the only thing you're going to see is occasionally some Google ads on the website, and we've never actually, even though we're slowly accumulating to the $100 mark after seven years, we still have not made any money from Google Ads. So uh, that's not really a monetization uh, plan for a podcast. So if anything you can donate would certainly be appreciated. Uh, we're at the point where we're going to be doing some uh, renewing of some hosting services. So I'm at that time of year where I sit down and I, I look at the the funds going out because they come out in one big chunk and say, "Are you know, is it is it worth doing it again?" Because um, we've we've been going for quite a while. I think we started in 2010, so we're approaching our eighth season of doing the podcast. And other than a few out there, you've got Scuba Radio, which is a good program but a different audience. Uh, you've got Pod Diver; uh, he's got a great show. Who's uh, been a little longer than us, but. Of the rest of them, oh, and then you got Diver Sync, who uh, started about a year after us. Uh, we're, you know, those are about the four that we're seeing active with any sort of consistency. So we certainly would appreciate your support. So you can head over to the website, click on that Patreon link, uh, give us a little bit of funds. You know, e even a dollar a month helps us out and keeps us going. So uh, certainly appreciate it. And we're, and we're glad you're listening. Uh, if you, if and you're, even if I was going to add, if they, even if you can't afford anything, Give us some feedback for what you like, what you yeah. like to hear, what you don't like. We can't make it better if we don't know what you want and are, are we satisfying your needs. Yeah. And then also if you've got a dive buddy 
uh, you're listening to the program, see if they've listened to the program. I mean, we're pro- we're certainly probably not everybody's cup of tea, but uh, you know, hopefully we we keep you interested in the sport. Uh, it's it's one that we've enjoyed for a long time now, and uh, you know, and one of the best things is the people we get to meet as we're doing this. So that's kind of the whole idea. So with that, I think we are to that time of the show, as you alluded to earlier, Mac. So uh, let's see. I've got I've got a a few of them. Um, one's kind of a rehash. I think we've we've done it before. So maybe we'll do a two for. I'll just have to see what the results are. Oh, and we do have uh, uh, a couple people in the chat room that I want to do a shout out. We have Flyboy Ned popped in there. Uh, we had uh, in Discord TK D Derek earlier, and then we have. Angela looked like she had stopped in the chat room, which looked like a new name. So here we go. A piece of rope walks in the bar, probably a tagline. The bartender says, we don't serve your kind around here. The rope walks back out, ties himself up, unravels his end. The rope walks back in the bar. The bartender says, aren't you that rope that was just in here a minute ago? The rope says, nope, I'm afraid not. Yeah, I, <coughs> yeah. so I, I think maybe... Even we, the crickets didn't respond to that. No, they... I have, to, I have to shake the cricket jar, I guess, to, to get them to wake. Okay, so here we go. Here's the other one. A computer science student is sitting under a tree and pulls up in a flashy new bike. The first student asks, where'd you get that? The student, the bike, replies, well, I was studying outside, and this beautiful girl pulled up on her bike. She took all her clothes off and says, you can have anything you want. The first student replies, good choice. Her clothes probably wouldn't have fit you. I was going to change that one to divers, but we know divers are a little bit uh, brighter than that. Until next week, go out there and get wet. And stay safe. And don't steal any bicycles, even if they're offered. been completed.